The Gospels are full of the teachings of Jesus. He spoke to crowds about topics like the kingdom of heaven, generosity, and relationships. But some of his statements were hard to hear, and some appeared nearly impossible to apply. What do we do with these seemingly mic drop moments? Join us as we tackle these one-liner statements in our next series, Jesus Said. Yeah! I like theme music, man. That could get me in the mood. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of fun. Hey! <laughs> Welcome to Grace Life, everybody. So glad to have you here today. Can you help me welcome all of our first-time guests? So glad to have you worshiping with us as well, whether you are here in the room, those of you online. Hey, before I get into the message, I want to highlight a couple of deadlines that are happening for our youth this week, and, and no offense, students, but, you know, I taught school long enough to know that just on occasion, only on occasion, and only that one child forgets to tell their parents sometimes things that are important. So none of you did that. Everybody here is well informed, but just for the fun of it, I want to make sure you know about two things that are happening, and the deadlines are like right here upon us. The first one is tomorrow. Uh, this week, we have one of our camps that we're having this summer. Uh, this one is actually a, a pretty special opportunity because normally you have to go all the way to Colorado for this, but thanks to COVID, they're, they're allowing some churches to simulcast it, and we're going to be one of those. Uh, and this camp is for high school students only. It's here this week, starts tomorrow morning, and uh, it's a day camp, so nobody has to pack a bag. You get to go back home every night. And the whole point of this is to help high school students be able to hold on to their faith and their brains at the same time. You know, we live in a world that says history and science and culture tells you there's no way that you can believe in the Bible. And uh, so this uh, whole camp is designed around some of the best uh, presenters of the information and, and scholars who have studied how to, to help you understand that you can be a very intelligent person, stand up in our world today, and have faith in God and believe in the Bible. So if you're a high school student, well, yeah, that's worth cheering for. But anyway, if you're a high school student and you haven't uh, registered for that, please see the youth folks in the lobby as you're leaving. We'd love to have you join us tomorrow morning for that. And then the second one is Camp EXP that we do every year. That's coming up in two or three weeks, I believe. But the deadline to register for it is this week. And that's because we, we go somewhere and they have to make sure there's beds and foods and buses and all that sort of stuff. So you can't wait to the last minute for that one. Listen, here's the thing. This camp is, is one of the most important experiences for our youth. We know it every year. So we, we put our money behind that. I want you to understand that Grace Life actually pays the first $100 for every kid that goes. So when you hear the price, you need to know you're actually not even covering uh, everything. And the reason I tell you that is to tell you that's how much we believe in it, to see lives change, to see students finally surrender their hearts to God, come home fired up. I mean, it's, it's an amazing experience. So I want to encourage you, if your student is not registered for that, go and get registered as well. You have a couple of more days for that. Well, everybody, we've got a new series we're starting today, and uh, I'm glad to be back. Took a little two-week staycation kind of thing that included a little bit of family fun, and, and I got my wife to go on her first camping, hiking, whitewater rafting trip in 16 years. Come on. Maybe uh, later in a marriage series, I'll tell you why there was a 16-year gap in her camping experience, but she loved this one, had a great time, and can't wait to go again, and uh, we took everybody down the river, and we all came home alive, and that's, that's always good, so, woo! Anyway, uh, I am glad to be back and to be uh, starting this new series, because it's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, it's going to be challenging, or I wouldn't do it for those of you that know me, but it's going to be a lot of fun, as you already saw, because we're talking about Jesus, right? And everybody loves Jesus, yes? Yeah. Exactly. Go ask your neighbor about God you might get different responses. 
Ask your neighbor about the Bible. You get different responses. Ask your neighbor about Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. And the funny thing about this is Jesus said some really offensive things. The problem is, if they don't like the Bible, they don't know half of the stuff Jesus said. So that's why everybody still loves Jesus, right? And uh, so I imagine myself sometimes just like, what was the look on their faces as Jesus said that? If y'all don't know how it goes, if you've never read the Gospels, Jesus will he'll be teaching for a little bit, maybe telling a parable or something, but he always ends with a little zinger that's directed at somebody in the crowd. So, so he's, he's telling a little thing, and then he just says something, and just kind of gives them like a little look, like, what you going to do with that? And I wanted to call the whole series Jesus Mic Drops because I wanted to come out here every week and, and say what Jesus said and then mic drop. But the staff told me we couldn't afford eight microphones for me to break because it's an eight-part series. So we're calling it Jesus Said. There you go, everybody. And um, I don't know about you guys, but God still says offensive things to me sometimes. <laughs> Do y'all have those experiences where God says stuff to you and you're like, excuse me, that hurt my feelings. And I had that happen, uh, a, a recent one, about six months ago or so, it, four or five, I don't really know, it doesn't, doesn't matter the exact time, but it was pretty recent in my life, and I was in my bathroom getting ready, and uh, we have a bathroom that I call a discouraging bathroom, and what I mean by that is we had an unintelligent architect, because you know when you have double vanities, they're normally side by side? So when you look in the mirror at your face as you're doing your hair and makeup, I don't do the makeup, she does the makeup, but as you're doing your hair and whatever, you can focus on like the part of you that you made look good. Our architect designed what I call a discouraging bathroom because we do have two sinks, but they're like in an L shape. And, and then we have mirrors that are wall to wall. Y'all see where I'm going with this. So as you stand looking in the mirror, there's another mirror giving you the side view. And... Have y'all ever been walking down the street and you see a shadow and go, surely that is not me. <laughs> so I was getting ready and I was looking in the mirror and, and peripheral vision out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that apparently my belly button was winning the race everywhere my body was going, like an extra 10 pounds, 15 if I had to be honest. And, and I know, look, y'all got your own issues, so don't judge me, but Whatever. Here, here's the thing, I, y'all don't know how hard I work to look this skinny up here every Sunday. <laughs> I don't exhale for 35 minutes. If I actually did, like if I were relaxed, like one of these buttons would cause an eye injury to one of you today. And it is exhausting to stand up here and try to focus on what I want to say while making sure that I never actually relax. So the point is, I was in the bathroom alone, which means I was relaxed and realized like, woo, man, those potato chips have caught up with me. Anyway, found myself standing there like a pregnant lady admiring her two-month baby bump. I tell you that story for this reason. Because at that moment, I looked in the mirror and said, God, I would give anything for this to go away. And it's as if God were in the bathroom with me because I swear at that moment I heard as clear as day. No, you won't. French fries, sweet tea, fried chicken, chips and queso. You even told the whole church about those salt and pepper, kettle cooked things that you put cheese on and zap them in the microwave. No, you won't because you could have already. You would have already done it, Jimmy. Ouch. 
I mean, like, you know, come on, God, let's, let's save the spiritual conviction for when I'm, like, downstairs reading my Bible or something. Like, leave me alone. I'm in the bathroom. And I stood there just going, oh, my gosh, no, I won't give anything. Y'all know we say this all the time, right? I'd give anything to be skinny. I'd give anything to be out of debt. Uh, we'll have pastors with scissors taking credit cards in the lobby as you're leaving today. I'd give anything to have a great marriage. I'd give anything to... Come on, fill in the blank. What is it? What are you, go ahead, get it in your head. What is the thing we always say, I'd give anything? And then you discover that actually there's a something you wouldn't give. There's something that you actually hold on to a little tighter. And the reason I, I give you that story today is because that's exactly what happened with Jesus. Somebody came up to him and said, Jesus, I'd give anything. And Jesus said, really? How about this? And he told him, go and do this. And the guy couldn't do it. And so we're going to look at Jesus coming into somebody's life sometimes and saying, go and do this. And it's, it's the thing we just can't, we can't do. We, we think we'd give anything right up until God shows us what it is we need to give him. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 16, again, chapter 19. And uh, if not, don't worry, it's all going to be on the screen right here beside you. Uh, but this is the story of the rich young ruler. Many of us may know it by that name. It says, and behold, a man came up to him, that is Jesus, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This is a story that is told in three of the different gospel accounts. If you're new to church or reading the Bible, we have the activities and the, the life story of Jesus told through what we call the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this story shows up in three of those gospel accounts. And the neat thing about that is these are three different people all sharing some details that they thought were a little more important. And so we're reading it out of Matthew, but Luke gives us a detail that's important. He tells us that this is a ruler, a rich, young ruler. And uh, we're gonna find out in the story in a minute that he follows the commandments of God as perfectly as he can, and this is very important to him. And to have eternal life is very important to him. That's why he's asking the question. So because of that, we can eliminate, he's not a Roman ruler, Roman rulers don't care about the God of the Bible. They don't care about these commandments of these Jewish people. And so what we have to infer from that story is that he's likely a religious ruler, and in most cases, he's probably a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was someone who tried to follow all the commandments of God perfectly, and they wanted everybody else to know it. They dressed a certain way, they acted a certain way, and it was all about looking like they had it all together. Now, Mark, his gospel tells us another detail that really can't be missed. Because if this guy is truly a Pharisee, and since most people think that's the case who study this sort of thing, we're going to go with that, that he was a religious ruler. And those religious rulers, those Pharisees, are the ones that are always challenging Jesus. They come up to Jesus and they ask him a question, and they're just trying to catch him in his words. They're trying to embarrass him. They're trying to show that he's really not as cool as all of his followers think because they're jealous. But this young man, Mark, tells us, came up and knelt before him, saying, please tell me, how do I have eternal life? So, so what we know is that this is a genuine question, that he's not just trying to trick Jesus into an answer. And, and so then Jesus turns to him and says, I, I love this, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. So in the next sentence, Jesus is actually going to answer his question, but he just kind of wants to get it out there in, in the open. So uh, you realize that 
you and your friends don't like every time I say the Father and I are one. And every time I say that if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Y'all seem to get all upset about that. But are you actually saying you're calling me God because there's only one who's good, and that's God, and you just said that I was good. But we'll just table that for a little bit later, like when I walk out of the tomb. And uh, so then he does go on and actually answer his question. I just love how he took that little moment there. And uh, he says, okay, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. That's it. Keep the commandments. And so the, the young ruler said to him, well, which ones? And then Jesus begins to quote the Ten Commandments. He doesn't give all of them, but he starts out and says, look, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And at this point, the young man's like, yay, because his answer is like, man, all of these I've kept. But then he asks, so what do I still lack? And, and the context is not lost on him, obviously. He's the one in the story. He's the one asking the question. He knows there's only one topic, and that is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? For a Jewish person, what they're thinking of is, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of God? They saw those as synonymous. They want to be in the kingdom of heaven. And they believe that it was all about perfect rule following and trying to get every rule right so that they could do everything that, that God told them to do. I mean, we're going to do this festival, and we're going to fast then, and we're going to pray about this, and we're going to dress this way, and we're going to not eat that, and we're going to eat this. And I mean, they follow the rules as much as they can. And he even says, I've, I've done all of these. And yet he knows something's wrong. He gets it. There's something that's missing. So he says, but, but what do I still lack? Because I spent my whole life following every single rule as best I can, trying to do everything I can because I want to enter life. I want to be in the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing more important to me than this, Jesus. So please tell me, what do I still lack? Nothing matters as much. Jesus is about to show him that something actually does matter as much. Jesus said to him, well, if you would be perfect, go and do this. In his case, the go and do this was, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Every time I read this story, I have to be honest, I'm baffled. This, this man woke up every day with one question. He has one desire burning on his heart. He has only one thing that keeps him awake at night, and that is, am I truly going to be in heaven? Do, will I have eternal life? Like, I, I think I'm doing it right. I think I've got, I've already got esteem. People think well of me. I'm, I'm this young ruler making it before everybody else in my age group. I'm rich. Everybody, look, I mean, I've got it all, except I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. This is the only thing I want to know. And, and Jesus answered him. The one cry of his heart, the one question that he has, Jesus says, here's your answer. I don't understand sorrowful. I think he should be like excited, jubilant, like dancing, like shouting for joy. The one question of your heart, Jesus just gave you the answer and the instructions to actually make sure you don't miss it. And he's sorrowful because he just discovered his problem. And that is that he actually does want something more than the very thing he spent his entire life chasing. What a sad story. To the best of our knowledge, I personally have no reason to believe I'll ever see this man. 
No reason. I mean, according to this story, he goes away. He doesn't follow Jesus. There's nothing in any of the Gospels to indicate that, that he ever comes back, that he ever changes his mind, that he ever follows Jesus. And I personally do believe that I'm going to be in heaven. So I have no reason to think that this guy and I are ever going to have a conversation. What a sad story to spend your entire life following every rule perfectly, doing everything you can to make sure that you get into heaven. And at the end of your life, it's all in vain. You put all of this effort into getting one thing only to find out that you love something else more than that. Does anybody want this to be their life story? I'm so glad y'all paid attention because, you know, sometimes y'all just raise hands when I do and y'all, that would have not been a good moment. So here's the truth. If, if we don't want our life to be an equally sad story, then we need to go ahead and ask a question that he should have what is your go and do this that you're not willing to do? What has God been telling you to let go of? What has God been telling you to, to lay down? What's your go and do this you won't do? Because he could have done it. You do realize the story didn't have to go that way? You ever thought about this? I mean, it, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, just, just get rid of all your money. Go and sell everything you possess, give to the poor, come follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. And, and it would have been like difficult. Here, here's how the story could have gone. Seriously, Jesus? Dude, you, you realize like I got a lot of that stuff. Like a lot, lot. I mean, you want me to sell everything I have and give all that money to the poor and follow you? I mean, I heard you preaching the other day about like how the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And you and your disciples, y'all got in trouble for picking out like raw grain just walking through a field. Man, I was over here having lamb chops with the best wine we've got. I mean, are you serious? You think I'm going to and follow you? But I don't know. I mean, there is only one thing I want more than anything. So, oh, this is going to be hard. And with some Agony in his heart, tears in his eyes, and a little reluctant to let go. He sold it all, he gave it, and he followed Jesus. Story could have gone like that. And the reason we're doing this is because we need to answer the question. See, we still, our story's not done. You still have time to answer what is your go and do this that you haven't done, but you could still do. You can change the story because for him, it looks like it's too late. It looks like he was so in love with what he had here and now on earth, the money that he had, that he wanted it for another 10 years or another 50 years. I don't know, but, but can we all just round up to 2,000 years since this guy's story? That if he kept his money and he kept his lifestyle and he ate his lamb chops and slept in his comfortable bed for 50 years, can somebody tell me what he's been eating and how his sleep has been for the last 2,000? His story didn't need to end that way. So the question we have to answer for ourselves is, what is your go and do this that you're not willing to do? And we can't miss the obvious. There is, of course, someone here today, someone that's online that is having the exact same struggle he was having, meaning the number one thing you want is eternal life. And there is something you're not willing to let God have that's costing you eternal life. That would be a travesty. 
Let me just clarify something theologically about what I just said as well as the story. Some people read the story and they get confused about salvation because a young man came up to Jesus, right? Jesus. And said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to go to heaven? What do I have to do to be saved? However you want to say it. And Jesus' answer was, well, follow the commands and give up everything. So there are people who think that the, the path to heaven is follow the Ten Commandments and be poor. That's not what the story is telling us. See, actually, we never got any further in the story to find out the real answer. The real answer, Jesus said, come and follow me. And had the guy actually followed Jesus, he would have been there when he was nailed to the cross. He would have been there when he came out of the tomb. He would have been there when Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching about the kingdom of God. The guy would have finally known the answer. Oh, wait a minute. It's not about what I do because I could never do it right enough. It's about what you just did three days ago. Wow. Imagine if I hadn't followed you. You see, he never got that far in the conversation. His conversation was very simple. I follow rules. Which rule have I not followed enough? What do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus said, oh, you think you follow the rules? Well, let's talk about how you follow the rules. Since you think you're perfect, did y'all notice when Jesus said, well, if you would be perfect? And when Jesus was quoting the Ten Commandments, the reason he didn't say all 10 of them is because this dude had a problem with one of them. See, one of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. And a lot of people misunderstand this story. They, They like to say that this is a story about Rich people needing to be poor and give up all their money. Rich people need to not be so rich. And and y'all know how we sometimes like to separate ourselves from the story? Like, you ever read the Bible and you just go, dang, I'm glad I wasn't there. You know that? We're trying to bring Jesus 2,000 years forward. I want you to realize you're in the crowd. And, And this is not a story of rich people needing to give up their money. This is a story of every one of us needing to give up our idols. We struggle with this as Americans because we think idols are what they they have in foreign countries with foreign religions, statues that you go and you bow down to. And yes, by the English word, an idol is also a statue that you bow down to. But according to the Bible, an idol is anything that puts God in second place. Anything that we say, well, God, I'm actually not going to let you have that. And we struggle sometimes because, well, the truth is we've all got something that we haven't let go of that we're not willing to go and do and For some of us, it is costing us eternal life. And you say, well, wait a minute, what is that? Because the sad part is this is now 2,000 years later. 2,000 years later, there are people that if they died at this moment, they would not go to heaven, and they know that. There's someone in this room, someone online, at this moment, you know that if you died at this moment, you would not go to heaven, and you're not real quick to change that. You know that Jesus died on the cross paying for your sins if you receive the free gift of salvation. You know that. Your grandmother has dragged you to an Easter service. Your parents or your children have dragged you to a Christmas Eve service. You you know the gospel story. That's why you're listening to me at this moment. This is not a foreign topic, but yet you still would say, I'm not going to heaven. Why? Because there's something you're not willing to give to God. And typically, it comes in the form of an opinion. We have an opinion about God or his job performance. How many of you have ever met somebody, or maybe you are the person who says, well, I I just could not worship a God who, and fill in the blank. How dare he not answer that prayer like I thought? How dare he choose to take so-and-so home before I was ready for that? How dare he? That's not a good God. I'm just, 
And you're going to allow your opinion of how God did something you didn't like for however long you've got left on earth to keep you from eternal life forever. Do you understand the word eternity? Forever. It's like this young man. How long did his money really help? Maybe it's not your opinion of God. It's your opinion of something God said. I can't tell you the number of people I talk to that when I talk to them about being forgiven and going to heaven, they bring up something in here. Look, y'all know this is offensive. It's offensive. This is the Bible. It's offensive. If this is not offensive to you, you're just weird. Because every human is sinful. Every human doesn't want to do everything that God wants exactly. We have to, to become godly. This is what helps us become godly because this confronts our kind of thinking. And if I could specifically address young people today because it needs to be done every generation. Don't take it personally. We always think that our generation is the one that's struggling with this. No, it's not. Young people are always like, man, I wish I could go back to my, like my grandparents' age when everybody believed in the Bible. Are you kidding me? No. People have never liked what's in here. They killed Jesus for what he said. That's what's right there. They didn't like Jesus because he said, I came to fulfill all my father said. That's right there. I mean, this has always been counterculture. It's not a new thing. So don't be freaked out when people tell you, oh, you believe what's in there, then you must be this or this or this. It's not a new thing. The problem is, in order to fit in with our current culture and to have friends on Instagram or to have a boss that likes us or whatever the story is, depending upon your age, we say, I no, God, no, thank you. We know that Jesus died for us. We know we can be forgiven and have eternal life, but we've got an opinion of something God said that we allow. We would just rather hold on to that opinion. Some of us, it's just our opinion of what we should be able to do. I meet lots of people who say, ain't no religion telling me what I can or can't do. Ain't no book telling me what I can or can't. Ain't no preacher telling me what I can or can't do. And here's the problem. The cry of our heart, just like this young man, the cry of our heart more than anything is to be loved by God, to be accepted, to be forgiven by God, to be, to be known by God, and yet we won't let him be God. We want, and the very thing we want is freely given, and yet we won't let go of something as simple as an opinion. Now, how about the rest of us? How about those of us that can say, like, I know that I'm going to heaven if I died right now. I think I can confidently say that. I hope that many of you can. Otherwise, I'm going to be very depressed about my job performance. I mean, I do this every week, and I'd like to think y'all kind of grasped on to. If you would say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I know what he did on the cross for me. I get excited at Easter. I mean, you know you're going to heaven. So you know that if there's a go and do this that you haven't done, you know it's not costing you eternal life. But that doesn't mean it's not costing you abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. There's a quality of life here upon the earth that God wants us to have. There's a life that God designed for us before we get to heaven. And there's a gap for most every one of us, I believe, in between the life we currently have, the one that we know God has for us, and that gap is filled with a go and do this. Maybe multiple of them. And our struggle, as I was saying, is because we have idols that we won't lay down. We say things like, I'd give anything to hear God's voice like Jimmy says he does. Really, then all you gotta do is turn off Netflix and go on a prayer walk. Well, I don't know about that, man. I'm really into season three and it's getting really exciting. I don't know, but. 
but we've all done it. Hey, uh, next week, I'm going to wrap up this series. You know, I'll binge it all weekend. Monday, I'll start a new prayer routine. People, I'd give anything to have a godly marriage where God's in the center of it and my spouse loves me and I love my spouse and everything is great, but your idol is your pride because you're on your fourth marriage counselor because the other three all said that you should apologize to your spouse. You say, I'd give anything to be debt-free. Look at that family going on vacation with a smile on their face and they're staying in like the deluxe suite and we can't afford that, man. I'd give anything. Okay, credit cards, anybody? Bring them up. Your idol is your lifestyle. We could do this all day long. I don't, I don't, I'm out of breath already. We've just got things we love more. And that's really what it comes down to. We love, just like this young man loved his money. Every one of us has something we love more. We think I'd give anything. I mean, I tell you, it, it, you I hope it was a good, funny, silly story for you to lighten the mood. But it was a deeply spiritual moment for me as I stood there going, I'd give anything. And then God said, no, you won't. I went, oh my gosh, you are so right. I lied to myself. I've literally changed my vocabulary since then. I stop myself every time I try to fight because we say that phrase all the time. We don't mean it. And if we can just stop ourselves and start catching, I'd give anything, but, well, at least then we're in a place to do something with that. Blind to ourselves is no good. And, and you know, one of the other reasons, in addition to we have things we love more than God, we put God in second place, sometimes it's a whole different issue. And, and this was a neat little detail hidden in the story. Jesus said, if you give it all, you'll have treasure in heaven. And he thought, I'm not so sure about treasure in heaven. Hadn't been there. Can't see that. But I got treasure on earth. I can see it. I can touch it. It's going to buy me a nice lamb chop tonight. And you want me to trade what I can see for what I can't see? See, some of the times the reason we struggle to go and do this for the thing that we tell God we want the most is because we don't trust God to fulfill his end of the bargain. You think, are you kidding me? Treasures in heaven? I don't know what that's like. And I'm not sure I want to trade what I've got for what I could have because I don't know what I could have. We've got a saying that we use here that it might be a wise saying when it comes to your, your personal financial decision, but it's very damaging to your faith. Have you ever heard the saying, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. It literally teaches us to be people without faith. And, and don't over-apply that. It literally mean when you start thinking about God, no, no, no. A bird in the hand can keep you from every promise God's ever made to you. This young man, all he knew was, I, I, I'm rich. And, and for some of you, whatever it is that you've got, you would love to have but you can't make the trade. Can y'all imagine this man in heaven walking around? Treasure in heaven, by the way, is more than gold and silver. Can you imagine him going, man, I'm so glad I made that trade. 
but on the other side of it, he just couldn't do it. Maybe some of us here today are struggling with giving up what we can see for what we can't because we have to trust God. And that might go back to some of the opinions we have of him. I want to just point out one last thing. There's got to be at least one person here today who is in the position of this young man to say, I sincerely think I've done it all. I sincerely believe I've tried to do everything that God has put in front of me. I think so. And what's funny is, as sincere as he was, and I believe he was, the man was kneeling before Jesus. As sincere as he was, he was also utterly blind to something he was missing. The Bible tells us that it is alive and active, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, that's, that's why this has to be an active part of our lives. Have you ever read something and as you're reading along, you go, <gasps> have one of those moments? And you just discovered a whole new, go and do this. You thought you were acing. You discover, oh my gosh, is that me? And I would be remiss if I did not mention and say something you don't want to hear, but when it comes to the gap between where we are and what God has for us, and any go and do this that creates that gap, we need to know that God said, go and do this. It's nothing exempt. And yet I meet people who say, well, you know, I really, really don't care for that part. I meet people who tell me they do not read that book of the Bible. They do not read that chapter. They do not read that portion because they don't like what's in there. They found some go and do this. They're like, oh, I am. no, excuse me, thank you. I ain't doing that. Without the living and active word of God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, we're, we're gonna be as blind as that young man. He sincerely thought, and catch this, if he's a Pharisee, can we just go with that? They had 613 rules they had to follow perfectly. He wasn't even getting the 10 that God wrote on stone and gave to Moses. He wasn't even get. these were the ones they taught to him when he couldn't even talk, like three years old. Like the first 10, he was blind. Anything that's in here, is a go and do this. And there are many things that stand in the way that we're just not willing to give. We're not willing to say, okay, God, I surrender. And it's costing us. And that's the question, what is it costing you? I know there's some here today that's costing you eternal life. I know there are many here today that's costing you an abundant life, the life you dream of, the one that says, God, I know you created me for something great. I just wish my life felt great. So my hope and prayer for every one of us is that we ask the Holy Spirit and he reveals to us either something that he might say new to you or something that he's been saying to you for 20 years. And the good news is the whole Bible is a story of redemption. Our, our God is a God who loves to forgive and to, to replace and to move forward. Nobody needs to leave here today saying, oh my gosh, look what I've missed out on. What we need to do is leave here today saying, I know what I'm going to go and do.
I know what I'm going to give God. So I really hope that this series challenges you. As I, I said, I don't want anybody here acting like you're watching The Chosen. Y'all know how we sit in our living rooms and we watch The Chosen. If, you, if you're not watching that, it's, you're missing out. It's pretty cool. But when you watch The Chosen, you're on your couch and you're seeing Jesus embarrass Peter because Peter said something stupid. And you're seeing Jesus call out the Pharisees. I mean, you're just watching it from a distance and it's how we read our Bible, as I said earlier. Like, I'm glad I wasn't there. So we're bringing Jesus to you 2,000 years later. Every one of these stories, we need to put ourselves in the story. Stop being spectators to the story and say, wow. I want you to imagine you were standing right beside the young ruler and as he turns and walks off, you felt the draft. And ask yourself, are you just gonna walk away too? Or are you gonna go next to Jesus, what do I lack? Are you gonna be the first one to jump up there and say, what do I lack? And then go and change. And I, as we do this, this is, I, I hope it's gonna be challenging. I believe it's gonna be challenging. I, I just wanna give a free piece of advice. There, the story kind of reads as though there's only two choices. Immediately, happily do everything or walk away. That, for most of us, doesn't provide a place where most of us land. Because most of us land in the, God, I'm human, I'd really like to, but I just don't seem to be able to. Come on, anybody recognize that one? You, you resonate with me on that one? So I, I would encourage you to take this approach. Be honest with God. Say, you know, God, I, I would love to go and do that. I'd love to give that. I'd love to sell that. I'd love to stop eating that. I'd love to, whatever it is. But I really need your help. See, this young man didn't bother to say, you know, Jesus, I would, I would do that if I could. You think you can help me? I'm not sure I can do it. He didn't bother to ask. God, you're the God who changes hearts, so I need you to change mine because right now I'm more in love with this thing than what I believe you have for me. I need you to change my heart. I mean, have you ever thought, I mean, I, I'm, I'll be honest, and again, I'm trying to keep it lighthearted with my example. I literally had to say, God, you gotta change my heart towards sweet tea and fried chicken because I grew up here in the South, man. That's, like, I know the answer. I could do it. This could be gone in like two weeks. I could actually be the size y'all think I am. <laughs> I could exhale and preach at the same time. It would, it's not that hard, but it's so hard. And on a much more important and serious note, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, to lay down, to give to him, it's probably pretty hard. Idols are always hard to let go of. So just tell God, God, please change my heart and give me strength. Change my heart and give me strength. Can I pray those two things for us, everybody? Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We come before you and just say, we are your children, we love you, and yet we also know we're human and we're confused and we're sinful and we fall in love with things in this world. So God, we, we need you to help us. God, I pray for every single person that whatever it is you have already spoken or will speak to them, that God, you will help them. You will do a work in their heart that causes them to fall out of love with that and more in love with you that idols will simply fall and crumble because we don't love them anymore. And God, I pray that you would give us strength 
to say no, to let go, to say yes, whatever it is you're calling us to go and do. Help us, God. We just admit we can't do this on our own and we really don't want to walk away sorrowful. You've got something good for us, God, and we want every bit of it. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that uh, I was talking to earlier. You are probably pretty familiar with Jesus, salvation, the offer to be forgiven, to have eternal life, and something you've held on to up until this point. Maybe it was the idea that you don't need to worry about this just yet, too busy having fun. Maybe it was one of the things I mentioned earlier. But I would like to take a moment and honestly just plead with you. Don't trade an entire eternal future for an opinion, for a moral excursion, for a political thought, for a cultural approval, please, please. It's not a good trade. So if you're in a place now where you would like to make the exchange of the life you've been living for the one that that Jesus died for you and has for you, simply say something like this to yourself and to God wherever you are. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you help me celebrate with those people, everybody?